what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan Jackson. With me is Chris Fry. We are the co-directors and co-founders of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, things may sound a little different on this episode because I am recording from home today in my son's room. So I've got the whole like, he's got these weirdo neon lights going. So it may be a little weird for Alan. He may get a little distracted during our recording because it looks like I'm in a dance club or something. But You, you either not- look like you're in a dance club or you look like you're about to jump into a video game with your video gaming chair and surroundings. Either way, it's a different look for you and I like it. So, <laughs> um, I, I assume you are you are home stranded because of the lack of gas to get around town. Is that is that kind of the deal? Yeah, you know, um, so yeah, it's inconvenient that I guess the hackers couldn't have done this during the pandemic when it only would have inconvenienced Colonial Pipeline (laughs) because I wasn't Mm -hmm. commuting. But uh, yeah, just uh, playing it cautious. But thankfully, I think things are kind of picking back up with that. We're going to be okay. Yeah, we're we're recording this in that 24-hour weird period of time where uh, our area, and I think most of the Southeast, is freaking out about gas shortage. So anyway, we're having to revert back to the pandemic days of doing this. Uh, remotely. And uh, Chris, it was was fun having you in the studio for the last couple of months. And hopefully we will get back to that with our next recording. But anyway, today's show on Foot Candle Films, we are here to talk about films, as you can probably uh, assume from the title of our show. We do have two films that we will be reviewing today. First up will be the uh, Academy Award winning film, The Father, starring Anthony Hopkins. And then we'll be talking about a film called Shiva Baby. You may not be familiar with, but it is one that's available now from a first-time writer, director, and uh, we'll be discussing that film as well. Followed by after those two reviews, we'll have uh, some movie news to share with you. I think Chris has got some news from the Cannes Film Festival as far as some films that we may want to be keeping a lookout for in the future. And then I will be discussing two trailers, both of them with some interesting uh, background perspectives I'd like to share uh, for trailer for films that are going to be coming out in the near future. And we'll be talking about that in our trailer tapas section. Finally, Chris and I will both give a recommendation of a film, or in my case, maybe a smattering of films that we think might be worth checking out. Uh, if you're in the mood to look for something to watch uh, this coming week. So we have a full show, a lot of things to talk about, some film reviews, film news and recommendations. Chris, are you ready to get started? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Getting into our first review then will be the Academy Award winning for Best Actor for actor Anthony Hopkins. The film is The Father. Date of birth? Friday, 31st of December, 1937. You're living with your daughter at the moment? Yes, until she goes to live in Paris. No, Dad, why do you keep going on about Paris? You told me. No, I didn't. I'm sorry, Anne, you told me the other day. Have you forgotten? She's forgotten. (laughs) Paris. They don't even speak English there. 
Dad, I'd like you to meet Laura. How oh. do you do, sir? I say you're gorgeous. Thank you. <laughs> I must say he's charming. Yeah, not always. Laura has come round to help you. I don't need her or anyone else. I can manage very well on my own. Everything all right? Who are you? Actually, it's me, Paul. Who? I live here. What is this nonsense? Anne? It's me. Ah, there she is. Your father seemed a bit confused. Something wrong? Where's Anne? Sorry? Anne, where is she? I'm here. What's the matter, Dad? Strange things going on around us. Don't worry. Everything will sort itself out. Saw it in his eyes, didn't know who I was. It was like I was a stranger to him. Just did something to me. I don't know what she's cooking up against me, but she's cooking something up. What are you talking about, Dad? I'm not leaving my flat! I am not leaving my flat! This really is my flat. Isn't it? You see, the situation is very simple. My daughter is of the opinion that I cannot manage on my own. I'm so sorry about this. Why? She understands perfectly. It's important. I explained it all to you. Why do you keep looking as if there's something wrong? Everything is fine. I think she tries to do the best she can for you, Anthony. Everything will be all right. I promise you. There's something funny going on. Chris, in The Father, we have Anthony Hopkins starring as a man who's refusing all assistance from his daughter, played by Olivia Coleman, as he ages. Uh, as he tries to make sense of his changing circumstances, he begins to doubt his loved ones, his own mind, and even the fabric of his reality. Now, Chris, this film uh, probably got more notoriety just in the last couple months for being the film that gave Anthony Hopkins a Best Actor Award in a very kind of undramatic uh, situation at the end of the Academy Awards, a, an award that was expected to go to Chadwick Boseman for Best Actor for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, instead going in a very much a surprise and an upset to Anthony Hopkins, who wasn't even at the Academy Award ceremony. So it kind of ended on a very interesting note. Did That's you even get to give a speech? No, no, no speech. He wasn't even there. Right. Um, it's um, So that's unfortunately probably more of the stigma around this film that people know this film from right now. My question to you is, you know, obviously with us having seen The Father and seeing Anthony Hopkins' performance, he is the lead actor, although very well supported by uh, Olivia Coleman among several other actors as well. Do you feel like uh, in hindsight now looking at the Academy Awards, did they make the right choice? Was this the right pick to go with? Uh, should it have been a considered an upset or surprise performance? And in general, how did you how did you feel about the film? So, that, like you mentioned, the shame of it is that's what this film is known for is what happened in the Academy Awards, and it's not not focused on a performance. So, I guess to answer the question, did it deserve? You know, was it? worthy of being nominated was it worthy of winning absolutely his performance you know anthony hopkins everything he does is good um you know he was in the film from last year the two popes you know he just i mean sure he can make a bad film not because of his fault he was in one of the transformer movies so um but i think he he is obviously a good actor and we've all known that and this was just a chance 
for him specifically to kind of give a master class in showing ranges of emotions, showing um, confusion on his face. You know, just if he was obviously deserving winning. I think, honestly, a lot of times when it comes to the Oscars, you know, you get so many good performances and they say, okay, of these five, which one deserves to win? And it's kind of like, I have no idea. You know, which one do I want to win? You know, so yeah, I think it was deserving. The performance was deserving. Does it deserve to win over, you know, uh, Chadwick Boseman? Who knows? Um, mm-hmm. I guess in that sense, it would have been nice for Boseman to win. But if you're just focusing on this film and the father, like you and I are today, then it's definitely a standout, a standout performance. Um, mm-hmm. I'll say too, um, speaking with the father, it walked away with um, best adapted screenplay because this film comes from a play that Florian Zeller, the director, had written. And he adapted it. And I can totally see how it walked away with that Oscar as well, because mm-hmm. um, I guess it's in a way, a lot of times you and I talk about things that started off as plays and then they're made into films. And we say, oh, you know, we can tell it's just like, for instance, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, that was a play and they mm-hmm. adapted it to a film. And it still felt like in some ways it was it was still kind of a play, you know, because it just some of the energy maybe wasn't there. And with this, if I had never been, if I'd been told this was just a movie, Oh, go see it. It's great. I would have enjoyed it. And I never would have thought, Oh, this started out as a play um, mm-hmm. because of the way they were able to incorporate some of the techniques and filmmaking. What was your, what was your experience with the father? Alan? No, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm in line with you. I, I, I've always admired Anthony Hopkins uh, performances. I, I agree with you. I don't think he ever really, puts in a bad performance. Uh, he's been in some bad films, but not necessarily for a bad performance. Um, but I think what really impressed me with this film is the range he showed, which sure. is not something I would say I've, I feel like I've really ever seen with him. I mean, I think in a way since the, since 1990, I mean, his performances in my mind anyway, have always been some slight variations on Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> it's, okay. you know, either he's a good person, but still has the same mannerisms and sign of the same cadence as a Hannibal Lecter, or he's playing someone, a darker character. And it's kind of shades of Hannibal Lecter. This sure. is the, one of the first times I can recall seeing him perform where I really felt like there was just a lot of range he was exploring. Um, and it made the whole film fascinating to watch, mainly for his performance. I mean, uh, I definitely don't want to say he carried the film because there were some extremely strong performances surrounding him. And I think the filmmaking style that you mentioned also is a lot of credit to it as well. But I mean, ultimately, you're watching for his performance and it is a standout. So I'm I was really impressed, not only with him, but with the film as a whole. Um, you know, I went into this film expecting, and I think a lot of people probably do too, reading the description and seeing that it was nominated for Academy Awards, thinking it's going to be a fairly straightforward Oscar type drama that, you know, is typically the kind of film winning these awards. I was really happy to see pretty, you know, after about 10, 15 minutes in realizing that they were doing some really interesting things with the film, with the storytelling device, with the camera, with just even the use of music and kind of uh, inherent sounds. I, I think there was a lot more going on in this film that really worked. And um, it's a, you know, we're going to, there's going to be a theme with this film and the other one we're going to be reviewing and that uh, I'm not a big fan of horror films, okay. the traditional horror films. <laughs> These films are more of what I consider horror films. And I, I say that in all honesty with the father, because it is a, 
it's a harrowing film. It's, it's very, uh, whether you've had a family member going through Alzheimer's, going through some of the aging that we just see uh, discussed here in this film, or whether you're just nervous and worried about it for your own future. Either way, it's a, it's a harrowing film, but it's also an eye opening one too, for people who may not be as familiar with what family members are kind of having to deal with when dealing with a loved one that's going through this, uh, this stage of their life. So anyway, I was really impressed with the film. I thought it was, uh, uh, well-deserving of, of the awards it received and uh, highly recommended on, on my behalf. So, uh, Without, you know, it feels weird to say this, but you mentioned it was kind of a horror film. So that kind of leads yeah. people to what to expect. And I don't want to ruin anything mm-hmm. because there were some surprises and some things done with yeah. the camera. But in general, I will say normally you can't ruin a film like this. It's like, oh, it's about somebody suffering with Alzheimer's and the family dealing with it. There are not a lot of spoilers really. Um, but, specifically some of the uniqueness that you talked about without giving anything away. Um, the way the film would transition between scenes and between mm-hmm. rooms and some things that were done with casting. I'll just leave it at that. Um, made things interesting and you, it allowed you to be kind of in Anthony Hopkins head as far as being confused. Cause you're like, wait, wait, okay. What, what just happened here? I don't, I'm not sure. And he was confused and you'd be confused or, and you didn't understand why, but then it kind of starts playing out. You're like, okay, I, I totally get what's going on. And that is genius. It's a film that explores whether it's dementia, Alzheimer's, but the aging and the process of memory, it, it explores that in a way that I've never really seen it explored before. Um, so that was, that was as far as putting you in the feeling of, wait, I don't know what's going on. And that's because, mm-hmm. Uh, Anthony Hopkins character, which is, he's called Anthony. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. kind of, which I wonder if that was, I wonder if that was in the original play, if the characters were Anthony or did it, was it kind of to help you? Cause you know, Anthony Hopkins is playing this character. Anthony, was that kind of a breaking the fourth wall moment of kind of making you guess what's going on? I wonder, I wonder what the, what the case with that was, but I, I thought that was interesting. I really liked that aspect of it. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought it was nice as well. Um, you're right. And, and, and the whole putting yourself in Anthony Hopkins characters frame of mind and perception, it, it could have, it could have been a big gimmick. You know, that's the thing that I, I got a little nervous about early in the film is thinking that everything was going to be played for a gimmick and okay. I wasn't really in the mood for that. But yet uh, I do, I do think it was handled well, you know, uh, kind of ex- experiencing family members dealing with uh, dementia or, or, or whatever form of, of aging element they may be having. Um, I think it's a, it's a great recognition of what it did a great job of not playing it too much as a gimmick, but yet giving you great insight that I think family members can also relate to and associate with as well. So for sure. Um, what about some of the other performances? What do you think outside of Anthony Hopkins? I mean, we've got, sure. uh, you know, we obviously had, uh, Olivia Coleman playing his daughter. And then again, we had a couple of other actors that, that had some parts that we don't need to go into too much detail of who they were playing, but, <laughs> sure. uh, it was still kind of interesting to see some of them show up that I wasn't expecting. Uh, sure. Imogene Poots plays a character in the film, Rufus Sewell's in the film as well. Uh, and there's one other person I'm forgetting that is Mark Gaddis, who was in Sherlock and he's right. also in Dr. Who things. He was in there. So that was kind of cool. Obviously a very British type production. And then um, Olivia Williams as well. So, sure. Right. 
you mentioned uh, Olivia Coleman, and she was nominated for a supporting actress for this. And I think she, you know, I can I can tell why um, because she really, you know, she carried. I mean, you said it's basically it is all Anthony Hopkins, but the role of um, Olivia Coleman, who plays Anne, it's really important to have her in there too because you have to see her her frustration, her kind of ebb and flow as far as how she's how she's dealing with uh, her dad and what the situation she's going through. And she's trying to be delicate sometimes. She's frustrated at other times, but trying to walk that fine line of, obviously she loves this person, it's her dad, but the struggle is that, yeah, she's still getting very, very frustrated with him. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'd like to call attention to a scene, a specific scene, that really shows kind of the powerhouse of the, all everybody involved. Imogene Poots is in there, Olivia Coleman's in there, and Anthony Hopkins is in there. And he is meeting a prospective caretaker. Mm-hmm. And he just seems jovial and you know, really charming and goes into this little thing again about how he was he used to be a dancer and kind of puts on this little dancer. Part. And it's just like, wow, you know. But underlying all that, and you can tell it from Olivia Coleman's face, is like, okay, you know, he's he's putting on an act because he thinks he can be independent. And so it's charming, but at the same time, there's this underlying kind of sinister, <laughs> not that he's, mm-hmm. you know, Hannibal Lecter, but you can just tell he is of that intelligence there. And he's trying to show, oh, nothing's wrong. You know, I'm just, I don't know what she's going on about. You know, I used to be a dancer, you know, all this stuff. It was just that one scene I thought was just, it was really a standout for me. No, it was, it was great. And again, to see, uh, to see Hopkins performance going from having that, that darker tone to going to very jovial to going to very emotional. I mean, he, he, especially by the end of the film, I mean, he is, uh, uh, really displaying some emotions that again, uh, I know he's probably uh, used in other film performances, but probably not the ones he's the most known for to see sure. in a film like this was really, was really impressive to see. And uh, overall, I'll give credit to, to, uh, to the director, you know, looking at this uh, Florian Zeller to know, as you described going from a stage performance of this and adapting it to a film and making it its own thing and making the film work not in spite of it being a stage performance but really exploring what can you do as a film that you couldn't do in a stage performance and i think that they they really did some great things with that as well so um overall that was a great film thought very worthy of of the awards it's been receiving uh unfortunately a film i think people are going to kind of maybe scoff at or not look towards just because of uh the academy award situation and uh and i also think too you know having the title the father and the description, if you read it, not a lot of people are going to go out and seek it out because they're expecting a very run of the bill, very, very straightforward, dramatic film. And I think, uh, I think they're actually missing out because this one's really interesting to watch as well. So, you know, I'll say too, kind of as a closing thought, it's, you know, the pandemic may have had a hand in this film, not being known as well, because, you know, I don't think it came out until 2021 until February was when it was finally released in the States, the end of February, I think. And I had a chance to see it before year end last year because, you know, we get movie critics links. So I was able to see it. But um, I will say, you know, to not a lot of people saw it, then it got these Oscar awards. But in a way, if I think back to my childhood, that's what the Oscars were all about was, you know, bringing to mind films that nobody had heard of. And then they win something like, oh, I guess maybe I should check that out. So I guess kind of good and bad um, that hopefully 
you know, because it won't, even though it does have kind of a bland title and, you know, but hopefully, and it is difficult subject matter <laughs> mm-hmm. um, with Alzheimer's, but hopefully because it did win an Oscar, even though it came out late, now we're already kind of focusing on the films that are finally coming out in 2021. Hopefully people will give this a shot and check it out because it's, it's definitely worthy. Okay. Well, that is the father as of the time of this recording. I know it's available online, but it was still in a purchase mode. I think you had to buy it or as a, a high dollar, $20 uh, either rental or purchase. I'm not sure what the, what the terms on it were, sure. but uh, I would hope here near nearby that it's going to go into a rental phase where people can start to get it for, you know, more four five, $6 rental would be my hopes because I do hope more people get a chance to see this. And I think especially, like you said, anybody who a family member has uh, that uh, wrestling with dementia or have, have had that experience in the past, I think people will be able to relate quite a bit. It may be a tough watch for some people who have gone through this situation personally or in their own family. But uh, I also think it's a good awareness building for people uh, to understand some of the dangers of these aging diseases that uh, and the toll it can take on the people around them. So um, a very, very well-made film. Very good. All right, Chris, let's move on to our second review, which is the film Shiva Baby. I think it's really great to like support females, particularly um, female entrepreneurs. Cool. In the future. <laughs> great. Yeah. Awesome. Danielle! Don't Danielle! Please don't yell. is here and her daughter Stephanie. Jessica. Whatever. You should really talk to her, you know? No. It's just a job. Hi. Hi, Hi Mom. I'm so sorry for your loss. No funny business with Maya. Thank you. You think everyone that's by is experimenting? You have zero gaydar. Excuse me, kid. I lived through New York in the 80s. My gaydar is strong as a bull. You can't just, like, show up to, like, the after party for a shiva. And, like, reap the benefits of the buffet. She lost so much weight. Yeah. You think she has an eating disorder? Why is she a major again? Feminism isn't exactly what I call a career. It's not my career. It's a lens. Max worked for your father years ago. Really? Just try to behave yourself today. I'm not going to blow him in the bathroom. Why do you keep looking over there? Hi, I'm Kim Beckett. I don't think she's pretty. Malibu Barbie is not pretty. I mean, she's just like basic. You are such a good kid. Is she okay? I already have a plan and a path, so. So you just study and uh, don't eat and go out with your beautiful friends, is that it? Is that your life? Yeah. Yes, that's my life. Wow, lucky you. Mom, 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 mom. Who died? Emma Seligman, Seligman directed an eight-minute short in 2018 called Shiva Baby, starring Rachel Sennett as Danielle. The short, and now this feature film, follows Danielle as she attends a shiva, where she runs into wave after wave of anxiety-inducing situations. Alan, what was your experience with Shiva Baby, and were you <laughs> having wave after wave of anxiety-inducing situations come out? Um, 
A second question first. Yes, this is a very <laughs> anxiety-inducing film, but wickedly funny at the same time. Okay. I had a great time with this film. I really, really loved it. And it's, um, I think because for several reasons, a knowing it was based off of a short by the same writer director, and then they had a chance to turn it into a feature film that normally doesn't sound like it's going to carry itself very well, but this film, uh, and I'm not familiar with any of the performers in it with the exception of, um, Fred Melamud as the oh, father. Yeah. <laughs> He's the only <laughs> sure. actor I was really familiar with and kind of recognized. But to know that the entire film basically takes place at the Shiva, at the Jewish funeral service, um, and just within the first 10, 15 minutes, you understand who this main character is. And then as you see her get into the situation she finds herself in at the Shiva, surrounded by the people that she's surrounded by, and you can just feel the pressure and anxiety building throughout this film. Um, it's, uh, it was both nerve wracking to watch, but at the same time, incredibly humorous. I think they found great sources of humor throughout the situation. And I will say too, without spoiling, I love the way it ended with, okay. on a, I don't want to say positive, but a more, a little more hopeful note <laughs> for our lead character to some degree. Um, I had a great time. There are two, two scenes in particular. I'll call out here in a little bit that I think summed up the film really well for me. Um, but I did find it really, really entertaining and enjoyable to watch. So Chris, what about you? What What are your thoughts on Shiva baby? So I, I, when Alan and I were talking about films to discuss on this episode, you know, it's like, Oh, we're going to do the father. And I was like, well, I've heard a lot of buzz about this, this film Shiva baby. It was just released. Um, I think in April. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a really recent film. So it is a new film that's come out in 2021 or at least in the U S I think it had a festival circuit maybe a little bit before then, or maybe it was just South by Southwest. I'm not sure. But anyways, um, I'd heard a lot of buzz, heard a lot of people talking about it. I'd watched the trailer. So unfortunately, <laughs> um, I think the film was good. I liked it, but I think it had been really built up in my head about how funny it was going to be. And kind of, as you alluded to in our discussion of the father, um, it felt more like a horror movie <laughs> than uh, yes, there were some funny things in it, but it was more of, it felt more like a horror movie because you're just watching this person go through this, these uncomfortable cringe situations. And it was, it was pretty intense. And so I wasn't really expecting that part of it. I was expecting more of a, more of a, not a, I guess more of a lighter film and it, and it wasn't that. Um, mm -hmm. But that said, I, I did enjoy it. Um, I'll call out specifically because we talked about how it was like a, you know, kind of a horror film. Something that helped that happen was the score oh, provided yeah. a lot of attention because it was a lot of plucking of strings and, you know, just really teeth grinding type music that um, even though it was a comedy, but it would have that intention. So it made me feel like I was kind of watching Christopher yeah. Nolan's dark night with Heath Ledger because it was that well, type of score. Chris, let me, let me interrupt you there. Cause actually that brings up a good question. All right. On the score, yes, I agree. I thought the score was uh, added to the anxiety, but also was great. What um, there is another film in the last year or two that we reviewed that the score was very, very similar. That same plucking of strings, very just abrupt, and 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 I, I could not place and I cannot remember what film it was that we reviewed in the last couple of years where we specifically talked about the score the same way as it being a little 
unique and not really something you would expect for the film that you're watching, but yet it also built up this anxiety level. I don't know if you think about it later on, let me know. I'm yeah. Just- and I don't know if it was, it was it a, I know a film that recently that we've, I mentioned the score, but it had a completely different feel to it was a uh, Minari. Um, yeah, no, it had a lot yeah. of like theremin right. use and stuff, but that was not like similar. No, similar no, music. there's something and it'll come back to me and I may jump back in later in the, in the okay. discussion and share, but there was another film. Anyway, I agree with you on the score. The score was surprising. Not one I would have pegged for this film at all, but it also did heighten everything that was going on for the next hour and a half as well. So yeah. Uh, you, I sorry, I interrupted you. There's some other thoughts you had. No, no, I was commenting on the the score of the film, so that was kind of, and that yeah. really helped pull a lot of the elements of the film together and helped me appreciate it. What were some of the scenes that you were saying that you? Well, there are two scenes in particular, and to me, these two scenes really kind of. If these scenes sound like scenes that uh, you find interesting then that probably is a sign that you'll enjoy the film. If these sound like nerve wracking and just not something you would enjoy watching, then the film may not be a good fit for you. One is relatively early in the film. It's when uh, Danielle first immediately shows up at the Shiva. We've kind of gotten a little bit of background information about where she is in her life and what she's doing right now to make money and kind of the role she's having to play in life. But when she arrives at the Shiva, she's been there for a little bit. And then someone else shows up, someone that we've already been introduced to, uh, a gentleman that she's already familiar with. And we realize that this is now going to cause a very, very uncomfortable situation. There's a dialogue that happens between Danielle, her mother, her father, and this, this gentleman, Max, where you start to understand the dynamics of the relationship. And it's both really well written and a great conversation, but also incredibly anxious as you realize <laughs> that now things have ratcheted up. And this is now the Shiva has gone from being just a situation where Daniel just didn't want to be there to a situation where now it is a absolute <laughs> problem uh, for her to have to be at this location at this time. So but the whole dialogue was really good. Uh, I thought it was just a great scene uh, early in stages of the film. And then there's a closing scene where I will just say it's, um, uh, uh, I mentioned already Fred Malamud starring as Joel, her father, him trying to negotiate getting as many people into his minivan to take them back home as possible. Not only is it just one of those scenes that plays out longer than it should. And I love it for that because it's building up this whole, just, situation that now him not aware of the relationships that are going on, but in the people around him, but forcing everybody to get crammed into this minivan so he can take everybody home. And I think at one point, even giving the line of, I think I miscalculated um, my, the space requirements in this van and (laughs) just that whole situation as uncomfortable as it is also funny in a painstaking way as well. So I, uh, that basically is the whole film for me. It was a funny, but painstakingly funny at times and also incredibly uncomfortable and tense as well. So uh, it worked for me. And I went in again with no expectations, no knowledge, nothing knowing about this film at all. So I didn't know what to expect. And I came away very, very happy for that reason. So, yeah, I think this is one of those instances where I do suffer from expectations, unfortunately, because I'd had it built up. I had seen the trailer, so I kind of knew, a lot about it. I do like the two scenes that you pointed out, kind of the Van Carpel scene that ties it all together at the end. 
and the other scene that you mentioned with the parents and the gentleman that she's had a relationship with that yeah those were both good i think where i was frustrated um was that these were shown in the tra- some of these um there were scenes of interacting with relatives at the funeral those were teased and some of them were shown in the trailer so i kind of knew what they were and then in the film i kept feeling like basically there was that one central relationship that you're talking about with the gentleman that she knew beforehand. And other than that, it was basically kind of like showing a relative having a, you know, which I get it is part of the film where they're basically all questioning, what are you doing? Who are you dating? And then change out another relative, same question, same question. So I get that it is funny, but then the repetitiveness of it kind of, wore away at me. So I was just like, okay, I need something. I need another plot point to provide some interest with me. There was one where she has um, the character of Maya, who she's known previously, and she causes some, you know, waves to happen. So basically we had the Maya situation and then we had the Max situation. Okay. So those are the two characters. Well, and, I, and I felt like there were three situations. I think you had the Max situation. And I think you had the Maya situation, the, where you don't really know until later in the film, what the nature of their relationship is or, or what it's been in the past. And then, like you said, the whole just, and again, you and I are, neither one of us are Jewish. So again, we're, this is a film very, very steep in Jewish family, Jewish culture, Jewish traditions. So it's a little tough for us to kind of uh, be able to evaluate it from that standpoint and talk about it. But I think that's that third plot line is just in general. She is a, of a certain age where everybody is expecting her to be at a certain point in her life and she's not there. And she's got everybody questioning her and kind of being that same um, overbearing parent, parental judging situation of, of what is she doing? So I think all three of those mixed together and uh, made for a really interesting situation. Also the comment, the fact too, that, I mean, this is a film that, you know, it's an hour and 15 minutes long. It, it definitely does not overstay its welcome. It, it kind of gets in, uh, sets up the situation pretty, pretty nicely, puts you through an hour of some really just tense nerve wracking, but also I think funny situations. And then it ends on, Again, there's a certain hand you know, gesture you know, of of hands at the end that just was a nice ending, and it's like it's what I, I think you needed to see at the end of this film to feel like it just didn't leave you on a completely uh, negative, down, <laughs> uh, upset note. So, um, I think overall, too, it, it all just worked for me as a combination. Yeah, sure. And I think both Shiva Baby, for the most part, there is a little bit of an intro scene, but um, for the most part, it takes place all at this, uh, mm-hmm. all at the Shiva. And the father, for the most part, kind of takes place in one location that's an apartment. Um, things yeah. shift around. But, you know, so both of these are kind of hemmed in with the idea that it's a single location type film, which can be challenging because you can get bored with just people talking in a single location. Um and for the most part, you know, both films were successful. Um, Shiva Baby, for me, I became a little, like I said, a little antsy. But I think that was because I had high expectations because things had been ruined. Scenes were ruined in the trailer. But I'm really looking forward to seeing what Emma Seligman, the writer and director, can do when she's not limited, when she doesn't hold herself down to a single location. Because within the confines, yeah, it is kind of challenging to make a feature film that's all going to take place in this one little tight time frame. Um, but I did like the film. It sounds like you were a little higher on me than it. Um, but I still 
I would recommend it. And I'm interested to see what she does next. And, you know, regardless of all these other things, like you said, it was a little dose of culture, Jewish culture that I was not really Mm -hmm. familiar with. The idea of having a shiva, which is kind of like what I guess is an Irish wake, but it's for the Jewish community and they have it. It's not the funeral. It's something that's had after the funeral. And so it's kind of like people come in, neighbors come in and bring food and it's this whole experience. And so that was interesting for me to see that world. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I think Chris, you and I have been reviewing films and discussing films for many, many years now. If we've not learned one thing, I think a film like this, and I've had my examples of it in recent episodes too, we we really just need to stop reading about films in advance <laughs> or watching trailers, right? I mean, isn't that kind well, of the rule where we should be building up by then? Because it seems like every other week there's at least one film that you, either you or I say, we had expectations for this film and because well, it didn't meet, it did cause the film to not be as enjoyable. Um, I'll say this, which is funny because one of our segments coming up is going to be a trailer <laughs> topic. <laughs> yes, it will. Um, we'll be teasing two trailers. Yeah. But I think in this instance, I heard stuff about it. And honestly, one of the reasons why I ended up watching the trailer was my wife and I were sitting down and it's like, Hey, what movie do you want to watch? And we ended up watching Barb and star instead of <laughs> Shiva baby, because we were looking for a comedy. And I was like, well, this is supposed to be a comedy. And we watched the trailer for Shiva baby. And she's like, Oh, well let's do Barb and star. I was like, okay. So we watched that one instead. And I think if it had just been expectations and I hadn't watched the trailer, I probably would have been okay. Um, because, you know, I just heard, Oh, it's good. And I didn't read why it was good or really what it was really supposed to be about. So Yeah shooting myself in the foot. <laughs> but I think it's watching trailers that I wouldn't have known about the movie. Otherwise, the ones you and I are going to talk about, I knew about those movies anyway. So it doesn't really affect whether or not I'm going to watch the movie, if that makes sense. So. Yeah, no, I understand. But that's our little that's our little tip and lesson for those of you out there <laughs> that really want to get your maximum film experience and enjoy the film for what it is and not what you expect it to be. Right. Don't read, watch, or do anything with a film before you start watching it. So, yeah, because again, I can I can say with all honesty, I didn't see the trailer. I think the only thing I'd seen was the movie poster. That was it. You recommended gotcha. the film. You said we should watch this. Done and thoroughly enjoyed it. So it was a nice surprise. Cool. I think there may be a little bit out there too, Chris, of the fact that I, I've noticed the last few recordings we've had. I've been fairly positive on just about every film we've discussed in recent episodes. Is that? I think that's true. I, I, think I need to look back at my notes, but I think I've been fairly positive on just about everything. And I think it's a fact too, that, you know, we're still, we're just now coming out of this pandemic situation where I think we're going to start to see films starting to go back to theater, start, starting to have bigger releases. I think right now I'm just still very appreciative of any well done creative film I've seen in the past year. <laughs> so I think my, I think my opinions are going to be relatively positive. Sure. This past year, even if the film maybe wasn't the best in the world, it was still one that I, I I find a lot to appreciate. This one I did find a lot to appreciate and really enjoyed it. So uh, I'm hoping it didn't fall in that category. I'm hoping it's really good on its own and not just my own lens of just wanting to see good work. Uh, so I'm going to elevate everything I see. But um, regardless, Shiva Baby, I'm I'm recommending for sure. Cool. <laughs> okay. So that's our two reviews for today. So we had both the father and Shiva baby, both are recommended films. Uh, I think both of us were very high on the father. I was high on Shiva baby. Chris, 
a little lukewarm to, to, to generally positive, but more of a case of expectations, I feel like at that point. So Absolutely. go into it with a fresh set of eyes, and I think you'll have an interesting experience with it. All right, Chris, we're going to take a quick little break. When we come back, we've got some movie news to discuss. We're going to take a dip into the Cannes Film Festival waters a bit and discuss that. And then we're also going to share a couple of trailers, or at least I'm going to talk about a couple of trailers. There's one trailer I'm not even going to play. I don't think we should play it. I'll tell you why, but I think there's two trailers. One of them will play, the other one we will not. And uh, I'll give you my reasons why when we get to that. And then we'll also cap off with our film recommendations. So everybody stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on the TV, and we'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the TV. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry from the Foot Candle Film Society and Foot Candle Film Festival here with you. We had our reviews of The Father and of Shiva Baby earlier in the show. But Chris, it's time to turn to some future-facing discussions, things, films that are either going to be showing up in theaters here in the near future or in a little bit we'll talk about some trailers of films that are going to be coming out in the months to come as well. But Chris, you uh, you had an item you wanted to discuss first, I believe, about the Cannes Film Festival, correct? Yes. So this will be categorized under the sounds like it could be good because they are announcing films that are going to be in the 2021 lineup of Cannes. And a lot of times these films come out of Cannes and then later they arrive in theaters for us general masses. So um, it is now, can usually happens earlier, but it's now being, it's now happening in July because they postponed it because they wanted to actually be able to have, I'm assuming in-person screenings and that type of thing. So let me start on some of the films that uh, are going to be there. They've already okay. announced, Alan and I mentioned at a, on a previous show, the new film by Lewis Car- Leos Carex, the Annette with Adam Driver. And uh, yes. that's, that's going to be there. So that that's that's good. It's got a it's going to premiere there. It'll be one of the big films they're going to hold. So of course we've already talked about how we're excited about that. Yes, I actually I actually going against my rule from what I said in the previous review. <laughs> I did watch the trailer for Annette, and yeah, I'm on board. I'm ready. Right, ready to see it. Okay, and I continue. think I think a lot of times you know, in examples of the director's not going. He's made you know, tons of films. He made Holy Matters. He's not going to give away stuff in the trailer that's going to ruin the movie for you. Like, I think it's, so yeah, it's, who knows what the movie will be like, but it was just enough in the trailer to get you excited. Kind of a teaser type thing. Those are the Mm -hmm. ones you and I are generally on board with. Um, French Dispatch. This is the Wes Anderson film that was supposed to do Cannes last year, and it didn't, but it is scheduled and it will happen this year. So I'm pretty excited because I've waited. It was one of my most anticipated film of last year and it didn't happen. So it is going to, um, it is going to happen. We're pretty sure about that this year, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, there again, who knows what could happen. <laughs> We've still got June, the month of June. So, but in theory, French, Anna, Annette has definitely said that it is, it's like whether, I don't know if it's opening night or whatever, but it's happening. But French dispatch is on the list of films. That's also going to be there. Um, a film that's also um, going has been announced that's going to be there is the Sparks Brothers, and this will be the first documentary 
by Edgar Wright. So Edgar Wright's mm-hmm. made you know bunches of other hot bunch of other movies, Baby Driver, Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead. But this is his first attempt at making a documentary, and it's about a band that I am not familiar with. Um, Sparks, I I mm-hmm. have heard of them, but I don't really know what their music sounds like. But um, it has played. And people have already seen it, I guess, maybe at South by Southwest. It played there, and now it's going to go to Cannes. So I'm I'm excited because from some of the stuff that I've seen, it looks like they're kind of a visually and musically, obviously, inventive band. And it looks like he just mm-hmm. had a lot of fun making the film. And I think he's obviously a big fan of this band. And he was kind of like, oh, why has nobody made a documentary? And he was like, well, I'll do it. And so he did. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm I'm really excited to see that. So that's that's supposed to be at Cam as well. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, now here we start to tread into the rumored category, but I'm still excited okay. because I think a can I feel like I'm being positive is going to happen. It is going to happen in July. These films are all going to premiere. So I'm I'm just getting really excited because some of the rumored ones are um, the Velvet Underground, a documentary about the band from Todd Haynes. Mm-hmm. There's also a new Terrence Malick film called The Way of the Wind. Then mm. we have The Tragedy of Macbeth from Joel Cohen, starring his wife, Frances McDormand, which she kind of teased a little bit of that in her acceptance yeah. speech of Nomadland. And then, last but definitely not least, the ones that have been rumored are is Soggy Bottom, which is Paul Thomas Anderson's next film. Ah, that's that's the that's the title for it right now soggy bottom. that's the title yeah soggy bottom mm-hmm. um so all of those films like if all of those films were to premiere can i don't know how can would feel about if that's their best lineup ever but that would be their best lineup ever for me and that gets me really excited thinking 2021 is going to be one of like the best years of cinema in wow. a long time because it's a lot of heavy hitters in there for me yeah and that's not even that's not even like there were other directors that I didn't even mention because they were a little bit more sketchy on whether or not they'd yeah. be there. But there were some other big names in there that if they premiered their films there too, it's going to be a big deal. So that's awesome. So uh, a little quick note talking about the uh, Macbeth adaptation from yeah. um, Joel Cohn, correct? Yes. Yes. So actually I just read this week that uh, a 24 has brokered a deal. So Apple TV will be carrying that film as a Apple TV film. Really it comes out. Yep. Interesting. So it'll be in theaters and it'll be at the film festivals, but then uh, Apple TV will be the one to bring it um, on, bring it online for people to watch. So hmm. uh, that'll be good. Now it's interesting to see there as well. A lot of, a lot of interesting films. I agree with you. There's quite a few there. I had read about the, uh, the sparks documentary, the Edgar Wright one. That one sounds really interesting. Um, French dispatch, obviously very excited about, um, yeah, and I feel already like, some great selections. I feel like that one will because it was finished. It mm-hmm. was ready oh, yeah. last year at Cannes. But Wes Anderson's big thing was like, no, I don't want this just to come out online. I want it to come yeah. out so people can see it in the theater. So I feel like it was held on to explicitly for that reason. So yeah. I feel like, you know, Cannes is going to happen because all these other films have announced they're premiering there. I feel like, yeah, it would just make sense if the French Dispatch comes out. So. All right. So the good news is some interesting films that we're going to be able to keep watch of over the next really you know, year uh, as they're rolling it rolled out. I kind of get the impression right now that by this fall, I think we're going to see some really great selections coming out to movie theaters. The question for me is just going to be, are the movie theaters going to be overrun with films 
<laughs> that yeah. it's actually going to be hard to find some of these smaller titles or ones that are more the uh, the Cannes Film Festival, uh, for example, uh, uh, selections. Right. But again, I think they also are going to be tapping into that digital distribution appropriately, hopefully. So I think we could have a wealth of films to choose from and a couple of different ways to actually see them and experience them as well. So could be good. All right. Well, that is the Cannes Film Festival teasing a little bit of information. Thank you for that, Chris. Um, let's move on to our trailer tapas section. We call it trailer tapas because just like tapas, trailers are just little little morsels, little things you can kind of taste and get a sense for the the, the, the actual meal to come with the actual uh, uh, film that, that they're teasing. And we have a love-hate relationship with trailers, as we've already talked about earlier in the film. Sometimes they can be to the detriment of our experience if we kind of go in with certain expectations or learning a little bit more about the film than we'd like to know. Other times trailers are done really well to just build a sense of mood and, and style of the film without really giving you a lot more to, to work with. Chris, we're going to talk about two trailers um, and we're actually going to play one of them. Uh, and the first one I want to talk about is the film, the green Knight. Now, if you, if you say that sounds familiar, well, much like the French dispatch, this was a film that was slated to come out about a year ago. Um, it, I ter- was incredibly excited about it. Uh, it's a film that even with the initial tre- teaser trailer had a lot of, uh, a lot of things going for it. And I'm actually bringing up the notes on it because I, unfortunately my browser just crashed and I was going to mention a little bit about it, but it is the latest from director David Lowry, which, uh, if you recognize that name, some other films he's done include Chris, help me out with this. He's he done, did I know he did ghost- the. He did ghost a ghost story. story. Right. He did the Peach Dragon remake uh, for Disney. And then I believe he also did um, did oh, he The Old Man and the Gun. The what? The Old Man and the Gun? Yeah. Old Man and the Gun that. with uh, with uh, Robert Redford that we discussed. Ain't them Body Saints. Um, I believe that may be the main ones there. Is there anything we're missing? Is it possible? If it's not him, it's somebody that is a lot like his style. But um, Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward. Robert Ford was that? No, him that was somebody that was different. Another guy. Okay, got similar style. You're right. Similar so style. Yeah, okay. I think Anthem Bodie Saints is what's kind of got mixed in with that a little bit. But that Anthem okay. Bodie Saints was David Lowry. Okay. Um, I believe that was the first feature length film he did back gotcha. in 2013. Then Peach Dragon, then A Ghost Story, The Old Man and the Gun, and now The Green Knight. Gotcha. Okay. So, and with The Green Knight, we have Dev Patel playing the lead. And this is a, our, um, what do you call that time period? Uh, um, oh, uh, medieval, medieval, uh, medieval times, time yeah, period sure. film. Uh, the Arthur, uh, the King Arthur legend based on the King Arthur legend, but it's the story of Sir Gawain, uh, who's played by Dev Patel and who is King Arthur's nephew and on a daring quest to confront the green knight. So this trailer, we're going to go ahead and play it. And then, Chris, I want to get your thoughts about it afterwards. Uh, so here's the trailer, the latest trailer for the film that does look like it's going to be released here in the next uh, couple of months. It is The Green Knight. Friends. Brothers and sisters. Who can... Regale me and my queen with some myth.
Bolt. Hey, you. Finish your quest for you. Okay, Chris, so that was the trailer for The Green Knight. Again, it was a more uh, visual trailer than it was an audible one. So I apologize to our podcast listeners who maybe had <laughs> to visualize what they were seeing up on the screen. But Chris, you just saw the trailer for the first time. Your thoughts, immediate feedback. So I, I, I think it looks visually amazing. So regardless of the performances or whether I care or not for the story, which typically I'm not that big on period pieces, <laughs> um, but I, I am excited to see it. And I remember the teaser also teased visuals that looked pretty amazing. And it looks from the additional footage we have in this trailer, like it's still, it's still going to be amazing. And Dev Patel, we uh, reviewed the David Copperfield film that he was in and, you know, of course, he was in Slumdog Millionaire. I like him. And I think it will be really interesting to see him play this character. He always you know, does a good job. So, um, and just, you know, like you said, the fact that this is from the director of a ghost story and stuff. So, yeah, it's got a lot of elements going for it. The teaser just, or the this trailer just only gets me um, more excited. And something that <laughs> uh, was revealed, which gives me a very... Uh, I don't know, a kind of questioning in my head was a talking fox. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> talking fox, you have giants, you have visually, it just looks fascinating. Um, and also a couple of things. I don't know if you even picked up from the trailer. I didn't even realize until I read more up on the film. Alicia Vikander is in it. Oh, wow. Okay. She's like the, the second lead in the film, which uh, I, I don't even think we saw her in the trailer. If we did, I didn't recognize her. Okay. Joe Edgerton. Is in the film I saw as him well. briefly. Yeah. Okay. okay. And then uh, Sean Harris plays the king. I think you can kind of tell it's, it's him. And then Barry Kagan, which um, I know we saw in the film. Uh, oh, what was the film? Um, <laughs> I am I am struggling with names again today. I reckon I recognize the name. I'm trying to think no, no. what film he was in. in the film. Uh, the director of. The Lobster. Oh, Yorgos Lanthimos. His latest film. Not the favorite, but the one before it. Killing of a Sacred Deer. Killing of a Sacred Deer. Barry yes. Kagan was in, he was the younger younger Got boy you. in that film. Got you. And he is in this film. Okay. 
Okay. Good. That took way too, much longer than it needed to just piece together. But <laughs> anyway, it's got some some interesting people in it that I did not realize were in the film. Again, the look of the film is amazing. I, uh, I, I, what I'm probably the most intrigued by is, I mean, I love the King Arthur legends. I love that that time period. I love films that are set in that time period. Um, A24, the production company that's releasing it, has done something really interesting in promoting the film. They are now, if you go on A24's website onto their shop, on their store, they are selling a promotional product for this film. Okay. It is an actual Dungeons and Dragons style game, role-playing game that you can buy for the Green Knight. It is packaged just like the original Dungeons and Dragons. It has all the instructions, it has all the parts. You actually create your own role-playing environment from the Green Knight. I love that. That to me is, uh, that's the way you promote a film like this is you get people really excited about the possibilities outside of just the film itself. And, um, you know, so just father's, really father's day is coming up. Are you going to request the green Knight Dungeons and Dragons go now? <laughs> I might actually be, that actually would be a really fun thing to do, uh, with this. So I'm excited. The green Knight looks great. I'm very, very, uh, unfortunately my expectations are high, Chris. Okay. Unfortunately, they are. They can only go down in my level of enjoyment for this film when it comes out. So we will see if that holds true or if it actually meets expectations when the Green Knight comes out. Um, and I'm looking to see when the official release date is now. Um, I don't see it. Oh, July 30th. Okay. July 30th is now the official release date. So we got about uh, two more months. Okay. So a summer release. Summer release. That's right. Now, so I was really excited to play that trailer for you. And this is where we talk about trailers of films coming out. Anyhow, I like to, I like for us to play the trailer so we can respond to it, react to it and all. Sure. Uh, Another trailer came out this week that I'm not going to (laughs) play out of more protests because I'm just, when we talk about superhero films or films based off of comic books or graphic novels, Chris, I feel like the film community it's kind of of two minds. You're either on board with it. You're like, yep, I love it. I love what they're doing with turning these characters and beloved uh, comics and graphic novels into films, or you're kind of done with it. You're tired of it. You think it's maybe overdone or you just don't really see the appeal. That seems to be more or less where people fall into one of those two camps. You in particular have actually mentioned some of your fatigue with some yes. of the superhero films and some of the franchise work that's going on there. Me, I've generally been a fan of it uh, for the most part. Uh, but <laughs> the, the, the trailer was released for Venom, the second Venom movie starring yes. Tom Hardy. It's Venom, uh, There Will Be Carnage. Okay. Wow. Venom, obviously, right, there will a, be blood. It's trying to yes. elevate itself. <laughs> yes. Uh, Venom is a comic book character started with the Spider-Man franchise in the comics and has now evolved into his own film, uh, film franchise, I guess. And this is the first sequel to that original film also starring Tom Hardy at the time. Um, this is the kind of trailer in film that Chris, when t- somebody tells me that they just don't enjoy comic book movies or they don't see the appeal, I kind of have to say, you know what, based on this one, I get it. Um, I, I sympathize and I understand, uh, because this trailer honestly just looks horrible to me. Um, the first venom I did not enjoy. I thought it was a, not a very good film. And this one looks to be taking everything I did not like about the first one and just doing more of it. And, um, 
So I'm not really going to, I'm not going to show it to you. Um, I, I think just out of principle here, I don't think we should spend two minutes of this show playing this trailer. Uh, I'll just tell you this. They're, they're obviously going for a very comedic tone with this one balanced with the over the top CGI uh, that you had with the first one. Okay. Uh, I just don't know what they're trying to do with this. So it, I don't know. What it's like a villain version of, it's like a villain version of Deadpool. Cause Venom is a bad guy. Yes. Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. He well, wasn't the first. He did. He wasn't really in the first film, but kind of, yeah, they play him as like an anti-hero where he's does bad things, but yet ultimately you still root for him. Um, yeah, that's all I've got with that. Uh, it, but in, in the, in the first film, in the second film, are they still having him follow that same anti-hero thing or is he yeah. an actual villain? Yeah. Cause carnage played by Woody Harrelson. Oh, so, okay. So, that is the title character. And he's also, it's like, there will be carnage. Ah, They're guaranteeing yes. us that carnage will be in the movie. Carnage, How clever. Played by Woody Harrelson okay. is the bad guy. So you okay. get the sense that Venom, Tom Hardy is going to be again, an anti-hero. Okay. Um, I don't know. You can watch the trailer on your own time if you so choose, <laughs> Chris, but I'm just eye rolling the whole time watching it. And uh, I think it is where I feel like Marvel and DC are starting to kind of get some things together, making some things happen with some interesting films coming up and, 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 and just the characters they have to work with venom, which is a Sony property. I think Sony's managing. It's not a Marvel film. It's not a DC film. Gotcha. Uh, Sony. I just don't feel like gets it quite yet. And this is a perfect example of why I feel that way. So, you know what? I won't watch the trailer in solidarity with you. Plus I think, there's a high likelihood that my son will want to see this movie. So then I'll go see it with him. And maybe if I haven't seen the trailer and my expectations are already in the basement, maybe I'll come out thinking it was actually decent. So (laughs) wow, that would be surprising if that was the case, but I'd be curious to see if that happens or not. So that's our trailer tapas, the green Knight. I'm very excited about probably too excited about and, uh, really looking forward to, uh, Venom, there will be carnage. Absolutely no interest in actively encouraging people not to make the YouTube downloads of that trailer set any kind of records, which I'm afraid they <laughs> probably will at this point. <laughs> wow. Okay. So Chris, I think we're done with news. I think we're done talking about future films. Let's talk about some recommendations. You and I, every time we get together, we always try to come up with a recommendation of a film that we think is worth checking out in case you're in the mood for trying to find something to watch or looking to expand your film, uh, film viewing, uh, history. And Chris, I'm going to turn it over to you first. What do you have for us today as a film recommendation to share with our listeners? So I am going to recommend, uh, the film. It's, it's kind of a, it's a long title. So, and kind of a confusing one. It is Martha Marcy May Marlene. Uh, it's from 2011 and the reason I came to this film was I'd heard about it, but I you know, hadn't watched it. But it has the big star in it is Elizabeth Olsen. And this was actually one of her first big breakthrough roles was in this film, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. And I'm familiar with Elizabeth Olsen basically a lot through her work with the MCU. And of course, I watched her in WandaVision. So I was like, you know, I want to check out this film because I've, you know, I've heard it was good. I've heard she's good in it. So the premise of the film is after several years of living with a cult, Martha finally escapes and calls her estranged sister, Lucy, for help. 
And then she goes to her sister's place and she finds herself kind of just confused and going back to memories and what's real, what's not real, kind of having a hard time coming to peace with like what happened, what's happening to her now. And like how she's trying to adjust. Um, and this film, it is a, it's a tough, it's a tough watch, but it is, it is really well-made and she, Elizabeth Olsen plays a really, really good character and that central character who you can see her struggling with everything going on. And actually some people have given her flack, I think, because of based on a lot of the Marvel stuff that she's done that like, Oh, she just seems very surface. There's not really a lot going on there, man how she didn't get at least a nomination for Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, probably because it's a small independent film, but man, she is so, so good in it. And she's got with her in that film, Sarah Paulson plays her sister who she goes to stay with. And John Hawks plays the cult leader. And John Hawks is one of those actors. We've you know seen him in some films, but he, I don't feel like he does a whole lot, but man, when he does something, you usually like, okay, this, this dude's really good. His role in this film is amazing. He plays mm. Patrick, the cult leader, and he's 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 really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. So, and I'll say too, without giving anything away, the last scene of the movie is a doozy, <laughs> mm. and I'll just leave it at that. So, that's my recommendation: Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. Okay. And you can rent, you know, it's, it's been out since it was from 20, 2011. Mm-hmm. You know, you can find it on the usual uh, rental platforms. Okay. No, that's actually been what I've been meaning to watch for quite a while and had on my list. So uh, happy to hear you saw it and are giving it a high recommendation there. So that's great. Martha. Marcy. Okay. Marcy. Martha. Marcy. Marcy May Marlene. And I'll just say the reason for Basically, all of those names are names that she takes on at one point because it's like all this identity stuff. So Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. There you go. Perfect. (laughs) Um, Well, Chris, for my recommendation, and I I think even last episode, I might have copped and not even given a recommendation. Yeah, I think you may have given two. I think that was last episode. I did. I'm still not in a great spot where I've seen a lot of other films that I can throw out as recommendations. Honestly, the last two or three weeks, um, I built a, a a theater home theater in my home. This was something I did back in in December when we moved to a new house and I had a room that was just going to be a perfect uh, thing to build into a home theater. And that's what I've done. And the best way for me to break in a home theater in the first couple months is to watch a lot of films that I already know I love I just want to watch them again in this new experience. So that's what I've been doing. It's so not watching have, a bunch of art house movies like Shiva Baby. That's not how you break in a home theater. Well, I mean, I did. <laughs> I watched Shiva Baby sure. on in my home theater, but I also had to watch some other films that sure. uh, are ones I've I've watched many times before or uh, just wanted to see it again. Plus, gotcha. I've also got a I've got a young son who's a teenager now who is very much into watching. Uh, films as well and is always wanting to look at more critical films that he can see and you know, kind of appreciate. So he's got a very uh, curious mind about a lot of different filmmakers and film styles. So uh, we've been trying to catch up on some films lately. Uh, so I'm just going to couch this. These are like little quick little nuggets of things. I just want to sprinkle in and some of my, my recollection of films I've been viewing lately. Um, okay. Did you know that I've never had seen the Godfather 
or The Godfather Part Two all the way through. I did not know that. That was remedied in the last two weeks. Okay. Uh, the Godfather is one of those films that's always been floating up there in my regrets list that I need to catch up on. It's one of those films where I'm with people talking about films and people mention The Godfather. I just kind of nod my head and be like, yeah, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> and I just, I don't know why, but I just never, never saw it all the way through. And, okay. uh, and I definitely had never seen Godfather Part Two. Have you so ever seen Godfather Part Three? I'm assuming no. no. I still and are not. you go? And are you going to? So my son and I have decided after watching Godfather One and Two that yes, we're going to watch it, um, just more as a completist standpoint. Gotcha. But we're going in with knowing that it it doesn't hold up as well as the first two. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so I saw Godfather Part One and Two. Okay. Yeah. I mean, they're all right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, it's, it's definitely an expectation type building thing where, oh. you know, when you hear it's one of the best films ever made, I did like the first one. The second one, I actually thought, I know so many people like the second one better. I actually did not enjoy the second one as much as I enjoyed the first one, but, um, I get it. I'm still a guy. I'm still a good fellas guy. Give me good fellas any day of the, of the week. Um, but I can certainly appreciate what Francis Ford Coppola was doing with both of the Godfather films. And I'm sure at the time when they came out, they were really, really, you know, uh, really great, uh, well-revered films. Now I just, uh, have catching up on them after, I guess, 50 years of them being out, um, or 40 years. Uh, they're, they're, they're good, but yeah, uh, I think I just didn't have quite that excitement for them as many people have. So. Sure. I, I can see that because, you know, if not for the Godfather, then, you know, Goodfellas probably wouldn't have happened. I mean, maybe. Oh, no. Right. But then also, like, you think of things like, you know, The Sopranos, which is just, you know, mm-hmm. all about the mob. So if you are all aware of that and then to go back to The Godfather, I can see how you can say, oh, no, it's good. But, you know, it's kind of not yeah. as monumental now, I can see. I'm expecting the hate mail to come in anytime now. And that's fine. <laughs> I, that's fine. I'm just uh, just letting you know I did I did remedy that on my watch list and at least did catch both of them. But the film I want to go back and 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 uh, if if somebody's a listener and they've been listening since the very beginning of this podcast many many years ago, they've heard me talk about this film. So I'm going to repeat a recommendation. I'm okay. sorry. It's just a it is a film I caught back up with again and uh, had fun watching with uh, some of my family, and that is. Honestly, now I think it has become one of my absolute favorite films. It is Terry Gilliam's The Fisher King. Okay. Um, I had a chance to catch up with that. I, I know I've recommended it at least once, maybe even twice over the tenure of our, of our podcast, but I don't care because I'm going to bring it up again. Uh, watching it, I don't think I'd seen it in the last few years. Um, so watching it again was just a great, a great film. Terry Gilliam in general, I feel like, make some very, very interesting films, but they tend to span the going very, very avant-garde, very, very art artsy. He tiptoed in the mainstream. I felt like about the time this film came out and maybe 12 monkeys. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he kind of went back into more, uh, more on the adventurous art side of his films. So this was at the peak of Terry Gilliam actually hitting some mainstream popularity it was before 12 monkeys, which I think maybe probably his biggest hit. If I had to say quote hit, you know, dollar signs box office wise. Right. But this one, uh, this one just checks all the boxes for me. I still think you've got an outstanding performance by Robin Williams who gets to flex both his zany manic personality, as well as his very, uh, very great acting chops and very dramatic scenes. 
Jeff Bridges gets some of the same uh, same approach. He gets to play pretty broad on this, going from the shock jock DJ who, um, because of his incendiary words on the air, actually triggers a tragedy that ha- affects many people in his um, in his life, and he becomes friends with. I think it's Barry is the name that, uh, if I remember correctly, that Robin Williams plays a homeless person that also having some mental challenges and delusions and they become friends and he finds himself kind of indebted to Barry and trying to help him on a quest that he has in his mind of retrieving the Holy grail from a billionaire that lives in New York city. And, uh, I think there was a Academy award, uh, not a winner for, Gosh, who was uh, the supporting actress in the film? Again, my computer just completely froze up on me on some browser stuff. So I had all this pulled up ready to reference and I just <laughs> lost it. But I'm going to bring it up right now and make sure I'm saying giving proper kudos here. It's I been believe, so long since I've seen it. I don't remember. But I remember who you're talking about. Mercedes, Mercedes Ruel, I think, okay. was nominated for Best Supporting Actress and might have actually won. I think that was a awards that they won is for her performance. I think. Okay. I'll come back to that. Uh, okay. Just like um, there's several other things I think I've said I'll come back to in this, in this episode. I don't know if I will or not, but Perry, <laughs> not uh, Perry is the name of Robin Williams character that Jack Jeff Bridges uh, partners with and becomes friends with and helps. Gotcha. Okay. All that being said, um, I think it's a great film. It's a perfect blend of whimsy and fantastical elements, but just some great, dramatic pieces and some great dialogue scenes as well. I, I think there's a scene in particular, Robin Williams as Perry has with, um, Oh gosh. Uh, Amanda, Plummer? Amanda Plummer. Yes. Amanda Plummer. That is still one of my favorite scenes of dialogue at a doorstep. Um, after a date, anyway, the Fisher King, I cannot recommend it enough. It's definitely a top 10 favorite for me. Love everything about it. And it's definitely held up even after multiple viewings spaced out in multiple years. Um, cool. Chris, I, I can't remember. You, you like this film? You, you, yes. Okay. Yeah. Good deal. I'm a big fan. And you're a fan of, you're a fan of, uh, you're a fan of Terry Gilliam in general too, right? Yeah, I, I am. Uh, his work has become that much more avant-garde and kind of strange. Um, the most recent film I've seen of his was the one that he did of Don Quixote, which got scrapped. They made a documentary about it. And then he was actually able to redo it. And instead of having Johnny Depp play the Don Quixote character, he had Adam Driver do it. Um, still didn't, you know, didn't live up to the highlights of when he was making a lot of really good films, but it, it's interesting. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm still, I'll watch anything that, uh, Terry Gilliam puts out. Well, this is, this is probably Gilliam's most nominated film as far as Academy Awards go. It did win for best supporting actress. Mercedes Ruel did win for that. Okay. It was also nominated. Robin Williams has been nominated for best actor. The score was nominated, which is great by George Fenton and best original screenplay nominee as well. So even best production design, all of that, I think well warranted. It was, a just a great film. I'm a big fan. So love watching this film. I cannot sing its praises enough. So that's the Fisher mm-hmm. King. Last little quick thing. I'll just mention real quick. Uh, <laughs> so uh, going back through some Tarantino films as well for, uh, for one of my uh, 
one of my teenage uh, kids that's gotten you know, wants to watch this and kind of is very very intrigued by Tarantino's films. We did watch the Kill Bill Part One mm-hmm. and Two okay. recently again, and uh, Kill uh, Part One was always one of my favorites. I was never a big fan of Part Two. I thought Part Two was a kind of a big letdown. Actually, I've changed my tune on that after watching Part Two again. I will say Part Two. I still like part one better, but part two is a really, really good film. And I think part two allows Tarantino to explore, to not feel like he has to be as stylish as I think he was in the first one. He got to just really focus on the characters a little bit more in part two. And I think it pays off better. So anyway, Kill Bill, still a big fan of those, uh, both those films. Um, So that was my catching up in my home theater in the last uh, little bit. So um that's that's so really know. Total, I guess that's Fisher a total King of is five my, movies. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I, I'm going to say Fisher King is my ultimate recommendation okay. for this. But um, All right. uh, the other ones you know are interesting choices as well. So okay, okay, cool. Chris. Well, I think we have done everything we accomplished to do in this episode. The Father Shiva Baby. We talked some Cannes Film Festival selections. We talked over some trailers, and we just gave our recommendations. You gave the film. Marcy, May, <laughs> Mar- Mar- well, close. Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. Okay, got it. And then I gave the Fisher King along with Godfather Part One and Two and Kill Bill Parts One and Two. Okay, so Chris, with that, if anybody has some thoughts, feedback, questions, wants to write me about my lukewarm reaction to the Godfather, uh, how do they go about reaching out to us? They can send an email about that or to tell me that it's Andrew Dominic who did assassination of Jesse James, the coward, by the coward, Robert Ford. Um, they can send an email with those uh, questions or admonitions to uh, info at footcandle.org. They can also follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. We are on Letterboxd, Alan and I are, so we can track what we're seeing. Sometimes we put brief reviews. I would be remiss if I didn't remind people that we are having a film festival coming up September 26th or 22nd through the 26th. If you're a filmmaker, you still have time to submit your film until June 1st is the deadline for that. Um, you can go to Film Freeway, look us up, uh, Foot Candle Film Festival, and submit your film there. Last but not least, uh, if you like what you're hearing, give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends on iTunes, help us reach new listeners. Uh, we'd appreciate it. You can also find us on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. All right. Lots of ways to contact us. And again, uh, looking forward to the film festival in September. So we hope to see a lot of great films there. And obviously, we'll give you more information as we get closer to the festival about actual ways that you can get tickets to come join us, either in person or virtually is the plan right now in late September for that festival. Okay, Chris, well, we're going to go and wrap it up. Thanks everybody for watching or listening today to Foot Candle Films, and we'll look forward to talking to you at the next episode. Take care. See you in the ticket line.
Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.